Welcome to episode six of Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. We still ain't played nobody. And uh, I'm Bill Connolly here with Stephen Godfrey. We're, uh, what are we talking about today, Stephen? I think we played BYU. I think, I think they're quality. I think we've played them and, uh, you know, we've shown that we're, I think, at least a mid-major at this point. All, all I know is nobody's told us to stop doing this, so we're just going to continue to regale people with, with amazing conversation and mediocre sound. And if you stop, if you tell us to stop doing it, we probably won't anyway, because we, <laughs> it's our job. Um, so let's start with the mid-majors. I spent, uh, I spent Thursday night at the Liberty Bowl in um, Hell yeah. lo- lovely and never worse than Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Memphis. Um, and I watched um, no defense whatsoever. And a really good offensive team in Memphis beat uh, another pretty good offensive team in Cincinnati that lost their starting quarterback in the first quarter. And um, Memphis is—they're uh, good. Before I know—I know, I know it's insane to start the show off with Memphis, but Bill and I are—it's—I don't know how secret it is, but <laughs> we really like the American Athletic Conference, oh, and yeah. I think we like it in part because. When you start talking about it, it makes it makes most fans sort of mad. Well, it's just fun. I mean, the, the quality, you know, it is what it is. Maybe it's not amazing yet. I'm looking at the, you know, my rankings right now. Actually, I mean, it's pretty good. We've got you've got Temple 39, Navy 40. This is my S and P plus. Uh, you've got Tulsa. Memphis is actually not the highest ranked team, but that offense uh, is doing more than enough right now. You've got Houston in the top 70. Now you got ECU after Virginia tech. It's a, it's a, it's, it's not a power conference quality, but it's not bad. And it's a lot of fun. And they hired a bunch of fun, young coaches, uh, suddenly Tulsa and SMU while not good, or at least entertaining. Um, so no complaints, no complaints, no, no apologies for, for wanting to talk about, uh, the AAC in Memphis to start off here. It definitely made it easier because of, I think, the hires this past season. But for a while, it was always um, – we at SB Nation have a fun habit of sort of showing up at the car wrecks of college football or the or the long sort of smoldering fires. And I, I don't know which one the AAC was the last couple of years. Maybe both. Maybe a long smoldering car fire. But you replaced June Jones with Chad Morris. Um there's nothing really wrong with Tony Levine, but you show a, a strong urgency to – I mean, not win now because they were winning, but really, like, Houston wants to be the Boise State of, you know, of, of Texas, I guess. I mean, they, they really want to make a statement, so they go out, they hire Tom Herman. Um, and then a lot of these programs just are, are finally coming around, and, and that really is Memphis. They're finally coming around. I mean, we've charted a, a pretty extensive look between the long form that you did last year, the story I did this past week. I mean... They were so bad, and that's one of the reasons why I went was because people are going to be really interested in Justin Fuente because he does exactly what ADs want, and that's – I mean, it, it's not so much about restoring her tradition because they didn't really ever have one. It was taking parts that never really ever seemed to work but on paper had potential and doing something with them. It's, yeah, I mean, that, that's why I went down there. Memphis, Cincinnati, decent game. It was fun to watch. It was really long. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- this is the guy that I mean. I can, I, I, you know, I'll pause and we can, you know, we can discuss this if you want. Or I guess actually, one of the reader questions we solicited this week, we're talking about what you know, what free agent coaches potentially would fit what open jobs. But I think Fuentes um, 
so appealing. One, because he's young. Um, he's in his 30s. Two, because of the way he's managed his program, not just in terms of the success he's had on the field, but, you know, like I wrote this in the piece, he's got a lot of ex-head coaches on his staff. He's not afraid to solicit input. Um, he's pretty diplomatic in the way he does things. He's not really adherent to a particular system. Um, and, uh, and, you know, for what it's worth, we kind of know his offense would work at the next level because of what he did at TCU, although I guess they were in the Mountain West when he was there. But um, he's the guy right now. I mean, I, off the top of your head, can you name me somebody who's, who's going to get more attention come uh, Christmas time? Uh, not off the top of my head. I, and Fuente has the advantage, too, of the fact that he's got gray hair and he's, he, his voice makes him sound like he's about 58 years old. So um, he's got the grizzled aspect and the youth aspect, and you can't lose when you got both of those. He is four years younger than older than me and looks like he's lived 15 more than me <laughs> yeah no, he's, i'm not to say i'm uh, um i'm spry or or youthful but my god that head coaching that is that is not good for the health yeah it, it is funny with fuente too i mean i grew up in oklahoma and so when i was he's a couple years ahead of me and when i was there uh, he was the blue chipper you know in the in the mid 90s tulsa union's becoming it, it's not yet the power that it would become in the next decade or so uh but it was starting to rise and he was maybe the first just true blue chip quarterback sure you know it was a big deal when ou kept him and then didn't know what to do with him and changed coaches and was terrible all around uh but he was a big deal and it, it'd be, it's always funny to me when those names that i can actually remember from the barry odom being another um, actually become something, you know, big in the profession that I get to write about. All right. Um, Fuente, really good coach. People are going to ask us a lot about him. It'll, it, this is something we'll, we'll sort of circle back around. And, um, you know, inside baseball, that's kind of why we go to Memphis and write these stories, so we can reheat them come coaching search time right. and act like we've been ahead of it the whole way. Bill, what uh, the hell's going on in, in Eugene? <laughs> what the hell happened out there, man? Well, if you ask uh, the internet, Florida State fans will pitch in that it's the gimmick offense has finally been exposed. And honestly, it's about time. After 80 wins in seven years, uh, it's about time they said that this 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 gimmick, this damn gimmick that uh, is, is not real football, it's about time that they got shut down. Well, it, it's probably just petering out after beating the Knolls so bad. That takes It takes a lot of energy and effort and talent. There is a bitterness there. To beat there. the Knowles as bad as they did. There is a resentment from specifically FSU fans. Maybe maybe it's a South versus non-South thing to a certain degree, but especially FSU fans hate Oregon, loathe Oregon, uh, and, and don't seem to uh, appreciate that Oregon exists uh, in the in the power structure of college football. So um, there's I, I think there's a, a nice sociology piece that we can write at some point, but. Uh, no, they, I mean, they basically, they, their defense was a little sketchy last year. Um, they, what, you know, Pelham replaced Aliotti, and Aliotti, his last defense wasn't any good either. Uh, but last year, they, you know, they, they prevented big plays pretty well. They were doing enough to get out of the way of the offense, but they were, you know, letting opponents off the hook on passing downs. They weren't attacking as effectively as they had in like 20, what, 12, I guess. Uh, when they really, I mean, they, they've had some, you know, at least top 20 caliber defenses under uh, Eliodi, and now he left, and uh, Pelham hasn't 
been amazing. And this year, not only is he has he not been amazing, but he's had to deal with a, a secondary that is super young and uh, ineffective. And then you have to figure out what am I going to do to account for that? Do I attack even harder up front and just hope for the best and and hope to not give up a bunch of big plays, or do I you know avoid uh, pass rushing, try to you know help the secondary out as much as possible? There's no good answer when your secondary stinks, and um, it's just too young to be any good right now. And, and combine that with the fact that I think honestly the quarterbacks are you know Adams and and Lockie are both fine. They, I mean they they both have their strengths and um, they can both look good at times, but they're not Mariota. Um, and even if they were to become Mariota, it wouldn't happen this year. I, I mean Adam obviously it wouldn't happen with Adams. But even if Lockie were to develop into something great, he's not there yet because he's just now playing, and so. They're just kind of they don't have the big plays to to make up for uh, you know the well the all the plays the defense are the defense is giving up and uh, simple offensive efficiency is, is, I mean they're, they're perfectly efficient but they're not they're you know if if you don't have the big plays you have to operate a few more plays to to get into the end zone and they're screwing up before they get there so. Um, I mean, I think they're still going to be a fine team this year. They're going to figure things out to a certain degree. They're going to lose a couple more games. They're going to finish like eight and four for the first time since whenever. Um, but yeah, no, they, the you, college football is so funny because sometimes you lose guys and it doesn't even matter. Even when you think it's going to, even if it's like a, a like a Mariota style quarterback, sometimes that, that means everything and a, and a team falls apart the next year. And sometimes it doesn't even cause a blip and, it just is really hard to figure out what's going to matter and what's not. But the guys they lost last year meant a lot. Um, I think we, we talked about this on Sunday because um, at SB Nation we were trying to kick around what everyone was going to write about this week, and I, and I brought up Oregon to you. And I think the reason why people were curious – well, first, I mean, first you see the score, I think the way the game was – or what time the game was being played, because I know I was, I was in Memphis on Thursday and then off the road at home on Saturday watching the games and – I think because I think I was flipping back and forth between a bunch of really lackluster SEC games and then the two big Arizona matchups and wasn't really paying attention, probably uh, definitely have undervalued what Utah's done early. Um, and then periodically you would see, you know, the fake punt, the halfback pass, um, that incredibly weird, what do we call it, I guess a fake return? Yeah, that um, was the damnedest thing. I really want to see that from like the end zone cam because, I I mean, watch the ball. Like I, I don't understand how it could have possibly worked that well. At least I, I, I track did not, the ball a yeah, little bit. That should not work in, in in any circumstance. I mean, that is an absolute crime scene for any special teams coordinator. But <laughs> so I think the more you know, and, and you just gave this uh, incredibly elaborate you know description of hey it's just a step in regression. It doesn't necessarily mean anything huge, but I think people are just, you know, the bias against Oregon and places like the big 10 and the sec comes from frustration and jealousy. And the fact that they, let me back up. When I was at the national title game, there's this perception amongst Ohio state fans at the time. They really hadn't earned it. I thought that they were just more physical than Oregon. And every time I do an Oregon game, um, I, I get that kind of response from fans and opposing media and people who just aren't familiar with the Ducks. Is well, we're just more physical than them. Yeah. And the only place I didn't, the only place I didn't get that is that I've done two Oregon Stanford games, and that's the one place where I think Stanford actually, you know, their fans recognized how good Oregon was, and maybe there's a, a little bit more respect because they're in the same division, the same conference. But 
it's uh, it's a very strange case with Oregon because people have come to throw them in this like cheap ghetto with Boise State as a fad, as a gimmick, and so there was a lot of really I thought kind of Schadenfreude at at at, at that score on Saturday night. You take away one or two of those trick plays from Utah, and I don't think people are as interested. I thought a lot of people who don't really necessarily care for the Pac-12 suddenly got super excited that someone was Oregoning Oregon. Right, and that's so, what it was. I mean, this was yeah. full throttle. And now, and now suddenly it's this. Oh, you know, you know. Honestly, it's this week's Alabama. It's this week's the dynasty is over. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was it. Was hilarious to see the exact same headlines with one word change from last uh, from last Monday yesterday. Um, yeah, this is a, a really good case of, of how narratives are zombies. Like, not only did Oregon beat Florida State last year, but they physically beat Florida State last year. Those short yardage stops, I mean, that was, that was or should have been the absolute, the end of the Oregon ain't physical narrative. But the moment they lose, gimmick offense, ain't physical. It's a, it all just comes back. There's no stopping it. And it's, well, I, I it's probably the thing I like the least about getting to be like I love being fully immersed working whatever 70 hours a week on college football not including you know watching it on Saturdays and uh I mean it's amazing in so many different ways but the zombie narratives just drive me they just they beat me to death not to defend the zombies because who does that um Oregon just got you know their line of scrimmage play in the national title I think it really was for it was kind of forebode was foreboding in relative to what was you know what we're seeing now. Um, they did get whipped physically. That doesn't mean that they didn't do the same thing to Florida State, but it just allowed people to go back to that lazy excuse while ignoring that Ohio State did that to Alabama too. Exactly. No. Exactly. And and well, that I mean, my God, I don't know how many T-shirts Eleven Warriors has made, but I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's a narrative we're we're all uh, very intimate with at this point. Um, so moving on from one um, uh, point in Gawk to another, I would say uh, Bud Elliott and I wrote a piece this week where we tried to figure out what the perception of Auburn is. And Bud has a theory that since becoming head coach at Auburn, Gus Malzahn is uh, too frequently getting the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's something Bud and I kicked around because of the you know the, the stats are not looking good for him in terms of a total tenure now, and I know what everybody. If you're not, if if you don't follow Auburn to the SEC, the first thing you're thinking about was like, were they in the national title? You know, his first year. Like, obviously, he got things going again, and he, and he did, and he and he has, um, relative to what Gene Chizik did in his last two years, but they aren't necessarily on paper as strong as you would think, and a lot of that comes when you take away what Bud and I kind of determined to be their three biggest wins under uh, Gus Malzahn. And that's the, the two back-to-back games in 13 that everybody knows about. So, so the tip six against Georgia and a comeback win and the kick six against Alabama, obviously. And the third one we threw in there last year was sort of, it was the first week of the playoff standings had been announced. Auburn and Ole Miss played in Oxford. They were both in, you know, both in the bracket it was basically an elimination game, and it was sort of hyped as such. Um, Laquan Treadwell has a game-winning touchdown, I think, with like a minute and change. Yeah, something to that effect. He pulls it in. I'm not necessarily saying the game would would have been over, that Auburn couldn't have gone down the field, 
but he breaks his ankle on the tackle, fumbles the ball, Auburn recovers, and, and you know essentially the game ends there. It was so, it was such a wild swing, and I wrote about it at the time. It was just it was unprecedented, especially for for Ole Miss, who who has so many terrible precedents. Um, take away those three wins, I, and and I'm not. This is just an exercise. I'm not uh, getting into the luck argument because you and I, will, will, you know, we debate turnovers and we talk about luck all the time as, you know, this sort of hellish bug in your metrics. But when you take away those, Auburn doesn't look as strong under Malzahn. Um, you know, Bud's, stat, Bud's leading stat is that they're 7-7 seven and seven in the last 14 games against Power 5 conferences. They've been outscored by 32 points in that run. I don't look too good. I, I find it really, you know, people will bring up, Bud will bring it up, a lot of people will bring it up about, um, you know, coaches tend to, if you're going to win a national title or whatever, it's going to come in the first, like, what, three years on the job or four years, something like that. Um, that's been, like, a trend recently. And from, like, a from an analytical standpoint, from, a, like, a math standpoint, I kind of just, I, I kind of ignore that because I can't figure out, like, a, a specific reason why that would happen. Uh, to where it's you know something that you know if you if, if a guy has a, is producing good results but hasn't won a title in four years just go ahead and ditch him because he's not going to win you a title. Um, that but the Malzahn thing is interesting because we have seen this before where a guy inherits talent and does amazing things with it and then gets his own talent in and doesn't do amazing things anymore. Um, that's weird. I, I don't know. The, coaching's hard, and and I guess maybe just after a while you you're you get pretty easy to read. But I that's something I cannot explain. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say there's something significant to it yet. But it is weird, and Malzahn's a good example. I mean, what we saw in 2013, the 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 last three four games, even even including Alabama, um, where they really weren't amazing offensively. They just you know they had. Uh, a couple good drives. They had the late drive, and then they had with with the pop pass, and then the kick six. But they still were able to move the ball a little bit, and they still moved it when it mattered. Um, the the way they were using motion, and I wrote about this when I went to the SEC title game. The way they were using motion motion to so easily create numbers advantages, it was just kind of it was like seeing the future of of college football, you know. And it made me assume, kind of the way I assumed a few years earlier that Dana, with Dana Holgorsen and, and whatnot, that, like, he's never going to have a bad offense. Like, it doesn't matter. Just give him somebody's talent. Just give him a mishmash of talent, and he'll figure out ways to create numbers advantages in space and, and do those things. Uh, but it has not worked that way at all. It didn't work that way for Holgo. Like, a couple of years ago, they had uh, decent defense and one of the country's worst power conference offenses after they lost, you know, um, Tavon Austin and all those guys. And uh, it really does. Uh, I, it's weird. I, I, you can't even say that talent matters the end because Malzahn's got plenty of, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, plenty of talent, but he has not figured out what to do with it as much. These la- especially this year, but even last year a little bit, they regressed a little. So it's weird. That's, that's really all I've got. It's just, it's weird. For the moment, it's weird. I mean, they're, they're definitely on a path to losing more conference games. And, and you know, that culture down there at, in the state of Alabama, there's no patience afforded. So we're going to hear a lot of this in the coming weeks. That's kind of why Bud and I decided to publish our conversation was we're just we're, we're really kind of jumping what we feel like is going to come out in the next three or four weeks. Because um, I think Auburn, maybe top five in most impatient programs in the country. I think that's fair to say. But, you know, what you talked about with, with Malzahn, with what he's done on offense, none of that's 
none of that's gone. And, and all of that is still right. You know, I, I wrote in the piece that if I'm in the Auburn situation, I hire Gus Malzahn. It's not, it's not a, no one's trying to discount his hire or criticize. It's, it's not that. Everything makes sense except what's happening at this very moment. Because, you know, when he came in, the 2013 recruiting class, is that right? Yeah. I mean, he, they came in like fire. They, they oh, brought yeah. in assistants that knew the South, that could compete in Atlanta, could compete in uh, places like Memphis and Texas and Florida. And, and not only that, but, but hold their own with Alabama and State. They, they flipped a, if I remember right, and I'll have to ask Bud, they flipped a bunch of guys as soon as they got yeah. in from Georgia, from Ole Miss, from Florida. Um, so, it, I mean, there's, I a, guess, there's an argument to be made here about, um, about recruiting for ranking versus recruiting for need yeah. uh, or style, I guess. And that's and something. I'm stopping myself here because I, 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 like looking at, looking at the, you know, the recruiting lists and seeing like, I can't bring myself to say, well, they're just obviously not recruiting defensive players and developing the way Gene Chizik did. Like, is, <laughs> is that something we're saying? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the defense is a completely different argument. I'm focusing on the offense because I had such high standards for the offense. Yeah. My standard for the defense isn't nearly as high, um, but they are clearly kind of weird on that side of the ball too. It, but it is, you know – whether it's it's the wrong getting the wrong pieces or the impatience in the atmosphere, I don't know. Uh, but it is it is confusing to me that uh, that Auburn can can look this sketchy overall. And of course, this is where you know they're always overrated, and that's that's the argument, and it's over. But um, yeah, no, I thought that this program was maybe not Alabama level, but I I assumed at least on offense that they would really never fall below a certain baseline, and they're way below that baseline at the moment. It's uh, the only thing I know for certain in this piece is that Jeremy Johnson was our creation. I really do feel that now. (laughs) I saw him look so good. He looked so good last year. I saw him play at K State last year. I've read a lot of the stuff that's been written, the stuff you wrote, the stuff every – no one is, is wrong here, okay? But, but we created this. We're all wrong, but none of us are wrong because, they, you know, it, it's just like saying – it's just like tracing back and, and, okay, yeah, you'd still hire Malzahn. Johnson still feels like a good move, you know, um, but he, he was never a starter, and he wasn't a starter last year for a reason, even though he had the better arm. And he did have the better arm. I watched that happen, so I, I know that's the case. But, you know, sometimes there are sets of sort of just weird – it could be circumstance, it could just be psychological, or where a quarterback just doesn't develop into a starter who, who does all the cliche stuff we hear about, like game manage and right. leader mentality and, you know, uh, uh, competitive – I don't say the kid's not competitive, but all that crap you hear about, there's truth sort of buried under all that stuff. Maybe that's it. We don't know. I think – I do know this. We took a kid – in, in, and this is like the giant collective editorial we. We took that kid as a backup for someone who was a converted defensive back and who's now playing defensive back again in the NFL. Right. And we decided that he was a Heisman contender because we have in this sport a 10-month offseason. Hmm. And in a 10-month offseason, this is the kind of this, – this is just where the, the mind wanders to because we have to fill the void. I don't – I'm not talking about people in the media. I'm talking about everyone. The conversation just sort of starts to build. 
And before you know it, Jeremy Johnson's a Heisman contender. Yeah, and I think we also know in, our, in the back of our heads that so frequently the Heisman winner is somebody we, we had no idea was going to be a Heisman contender. Uh, so now, so then we think we need to get creative. And actually, that was a little bit of Jameis Winston uh, before 2013 even started. But yeah, I think we, we start to realize that, well, we don't know who's going to win the Heisman. It might be somebody new. So who's new that could? And then that, you know, a little creative exercise becomes this enormous thing. Um, but hey, so now it's your turn to talk for a couple minutes about something while I take my dog upstairs because it seems like she's going to take a dump in the office. Um, and I'm getting a little nervous about that. So I'm going to take her upstairs and you talk about whatever it is you want to talk about and I'll join in in a minute. (laughs) Because it's like we're doing this live or something and I can't actually hit the pause button. Um, yeah, it's, it's possible that that happens. Answer questions Um, or something, I guess. I don't know. Okay, well, we, we, we call this, um, back when I used to work at pro wrestling, we would, we would just call this stretching, um, stretching for time. Uh, I think the other thing that people haven't really recognized is that, yeah, you know what, Will Muschamp, he was really expensive, and he was really good, and he helped bring in some assistants that were really good recruiters. It's, I, I think Auburn's going to recruit Florida specifically better, uh, but you don't fix a defense in – you know, five you know, five months of an offseason of spring practice. You don't go in. Uh, this isn't the NFL. You know, you can't bring in free agents that better fit your system. You you don't get the amount of time it takes to, to install a new scheme wholesale. Um, and honestly, I just, you know, it's going to take him more time, which brings up a bigger problem is you've, you've spent a ton of money on Muschamp. You brought him in, again, right hire, probably the best hire possible because you improve in recruiting as well. But if Auburn finishes at 500 this year, or even seven and five, it's considered a wild, gross disappointment down there. What do you do in the offseason to placate that? Because last year, when the defense got blown out, when they looked lackluster in their bowl game, you know, when Alabama's offense and Amari Cooper ran them out, you were able to fire Ellis Johnson and point to that as the problem. Show us, you know, and show the fact, hey, this is going to get fixed. I, I don't really know what Auburn is going to do in the offseason because, you know, I, I wrote this in the piece with Bud. It's not like Rhett Lashley is going to get canned. I mean, Malzahn's not going to fire one of his offensive assistants and and say, okay, hey, that was it. That was the problem here. So, so, so I'm back. I was still, well, hey, well I was still stretching. And I know you're doing well, and I'll actually jump in here and help out. Uh, the best, maybe the best thing they can do in the offseason is nothing. Peyton Barber's a sophomore. Rock Thomas is a sophomore. Javon Robinson's a junior. Johnson and White are both going to be back. Uh, the receiving core is <laughs> very senior heavy, I guess. But, um, you know, and there are some seniors on defense. But, uh, you know, give Muschamp another year and, and give that backfield another year. And maybe a lot of these problems solve themselves. Continuity is a big, um, again, not always a bonus, but it can be a bonus. The dog poop? Uh, she went straight over to where her pee pad is. I didn't wait around to find out, but I'm pretty right, sure I was reading the signals pretty well there. Keep us updated. No, continuity is a huge it, – it, continuity in coaching staffs specifically. Yeah. Massive, massive. And it's one of the bigger – it's one of the bigger reasons I think certain schools become successful in recruiting that maybe haven't been before or also able to survive, uh, you know, a big graduating class. I think – there should be some sort of – you tell me if I'm wrong here. When you look at stats on returning starters every year, I think there should be some metric that weighs that number based on the continuity of, I wouldn't say all the coaches, but the two coordinators and maybe some of the more prominent position coaches. Do you think that's fair? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you could uh, I almost certainly come up with some exceptions to that rule, but yeah, on average, um, that's yeah, and that's it, it so is. Wait, wait. So, all right, if I were to propose this to you, like it's sort of like math theory. <laughs> if I said to you, I think my hypothesis is that teams you'll you'll see a correlation with teams that return less starters who end up being more successful than expected and continuity on the staff, the ability for those underclassmen who don't have the starts to have been in the exact same system the entire time. Yeah. Let me put it. Well, let me, yeah, let me put it this way. There's a, um, before the season, I I had the intern doing, putting together a lot of old data regarding, um, you know, percentage of tackles returning percentage of X returning. Um, and I, I kind of, I've never really played with that data before. And I was looking at it just in terms of last year, in terms of what, um, what really actually matters in terms like for your year to year success. And, you know, on average it, it was, you know, quarterbacks, if you, you know, lost a lot of your passing yards, you're, you're probably going to regress. And what was it? Quarterbacks, receivers, and defensive backs all had pretty high levels of con- of correlation in terms of continuity and success. But offensive line, there was absolutely none, no correlation whatsoever between like your returning career starts and whether you did well the next year uh, and I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about this before, but it does kind of that kind of lends to the idea of, you know, it's the coach that matters more than the the ta- than the than, you know, the experience up front or maybe a combination of the coach and the, just the pure talent available, whether it's a, you know, they're a, fr- a sophomore or a senior. Um, but so, I mean, I, I think there's certainly defensive line was about the same way and you do start to the the imagination starts to go in terms of what is causing that and and good coach good assistant coaches or having the same assistant coaches probably matters a little more than we give it credit for so do you, so am i in the math class or are we not doing that or uh, do you really want to be in the math class because if so oh, I can, I can, are you kidding? oh god no god no, no i can I create a spot for you on the roster times. But, uh, no, I actually have, uh, when I'm on deadline and late, which is pretty much every waking moment of my life at SB Nation, um, I have a dream that uh, every single night, which because it's based on something that actually happened, um, that I find out I have, in the dream, I find out I have a, a final in uh, Business Calculus 267, and um, I'm scheduled for the final, but I actually have not been to the class in th- two and a half months, um, because that actually happened to me, huh. so... Um, I, I've never been a highly organized person. It's sometimes effective, but um, no, the concept of math scares the hell out of me. But my job is not to be in the math class. My job is to show everyone else what the math class is doing. Okay, I'm just I'm just the perky PR intern that, that <laughs> lets everyone know what you guys are cooking in the lab. Well, that's but if you that... don't like my formula, that's fine too. I mean, you could just say that. Well, I mean, I think there's. Um... I, 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 I am a hedger, and so I'm not willing to say, yes, there's absolutely something there. There might be something there. And Just because there's not numbers or facts associated, don't say the math is bad. No, it's definitely not bad. I can't guarantee it's good, but it's definitely not bad. Uh, are you excited about this week? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there is kind of an inverse uh, relationship sometimes with, with the weeks we think are going to be amazing and uh, the weeks that actually are. But how is this weekend? I mean, even if the games are only like good and not crazy, ridiculous, amazing finishes and whatnot, how how is this weekend not going to be massively significant just because of the results? Even if the games aren't amazing, the results are going to tell us so much about what to expect moving forward. Well, let me ba- let me back up. Okay, we, we've had uh, basically a month of 
really excited, like, or I'm sorry, you know, real excitement for football, but, but every week it's, oh, this week sucks. This week sucks. But then you have people like us inside the, you know, inside the cult that get excited. I mean, you know, FIU plays Akron. We're going to watch it. All right. We've got the track marks to prove it. We're going to be outside the building scratching. Okay. You're going to offer it. We're going to take it. But to the more casual college football fan, it's apparently been a bad season so far because the schedule hasn't lived up to that. You know, all the, all the heavyweight games, you know, in, in conference play haven't started yet. Look, man, all y'all did was bitch in the offseason about not having college football. It's actually been pretty good. Yeah. Now, to your point, Bill, I don't know. I don't know. This, I'm, the big matchups are great. I'll be at one this weekend, by the way. I'll be at Clemson and Notre Dame. Um, and I'm sure I'll use the remaining minutes of this show to, to bug you and, and basically start, you know, have you do my homework for me, uh, which is the whole reason we have this podcast. Um the, the big matchups are great, but, but to your point, I think it's the results that people are actually excited about. And just like the the narrative potential. I mean, we're, we're starting with Miami at Cincinnati. Um, and poor Al Golden, 3-0, and kind of feels like he's 0-3. Um, even if they win, they're going to give up 400 passing yards to whichever quarterback Cincinnati decides to put out there. Uh, so even if they win like 45 to 30, he's still going to be, there's still going to be, you know, a million and five, you know, 1.5 million. Oh, he's definitely fired. Just go ahead and fire him references uh, Thursday night. And here's where I remind myself, the coaches are paid very well to deal with this. So I'm not going to feel sorry for him, but it, it is a, a really funny profession, but no, just in every conference, you've got really interesting outcomes no matter what happens if, if the first four or five weeks of the season are just about positioning uh we're gonna have a good idea of positioning uh on sunday morning i don't think gunner kill starts by the way and that's just from God, surely not surely not not it, 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 somewhat as a reporter and someone who was at that game but then also i mean i, I know a lot of people since I, I i don't i don't think he starts um I did not expect you to go with Miami and Cincinnati when we talk about marquee matchups. Well, I by the way, the schedule is right the up way, there at the top. It's the leadoff. I think someone should write a really big feature piece about um, why people want Al Golden fired at Miami, and maybe use you know maybe interview a really prominent booster or, or a really prominent sort of like um, figure in the community. You know, this, that's, that's a good idea. I, I like yeah. where you're going. Anyway, um, Georgia, Auburn, Clemson, Notre Dame. Um, Florida, Ole Miss. Okay, whatever. We're, you know, Florida's ranked now. Um, what? West yeah, Virginia, it, OU. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That was the sneaky one, and I was getting there. Of all these marquee games, when we sit around on Sunday morning and 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 pick at the corpse, which one is going to tell you the most? I know. Obviously, they got to be played, but we're crazy like this, where we're going to try and prognosticate which one is going to be the most informative in your opinion i always hate coming up with sec answers i feel it's like a letdown but it but it's alabama georgia i mean georgia's really good um i i know there's a stat floating around about how grayson lambert performs when pressured in the backfield and how he hasn't had any the last couple weeks and that's absolutely true but even with even if lambert is average that defense is good uh, the run defense i think is is improved over last year the offense still has nick chubb who <laughs> just for lack of of superman highlights has, has gotten completely overshadowed by Fournette. um you know they're still a really good team and they if alabama isn't at its top level whatever that is this year 
um, then Alabama could lose. And it's funny, like it's you know it's been a weird year when you know if you look at the if at uh, the F plus rankings, the only team the numbers actually trust right now has a loss. Alabama's at like plus seventy percent right now. Nobody else is above plus fifty three. And you know you don't necessarily have to know what that means to know that that's an enormous drop off. Like Alabama's eighteen percentage points ahead of Ohio State. Ohio State's eighteen percentage points ahead of number seventeen Texas A and M. So they are the only trustworthy, truly trustworthy team in the country right now, and they're three and one. They've already lost, and if they lose again, I mean we've talked about before, like the playoff committee and a second loss. The, the, the most trustworthy team in the country might be more or less eliminated from the playoff race by Saturday evening. So that's really big. We're, we're going to learn, not only we're going to learn a lot about Georgia, but we might be eliminating a, a team that could be the best in the country in week five. So that's that's got to be number one. It's not going to be the most fun game to watch. Ohio, Oklahoma, West Virginia is going to be the most fun game to watch, but it, it is easily the most significant. Uh, I, I will be cheering for West Virginia for the sole purpose of rationalizing the week of my life I spent embedded with a team that lost to the Mountaineers 44 to nothing. Um, in fact, I wanted West Virginia to go undefeated and win the national title just so my decision doesn't look as stupid. Um, hey, first, Georgia Southern has looked good since that game. So that is that is only Oh, no, no, no. Hey, my favorite stat in college football right now is that uh, Georgia Southern is uh, very much undefeated and I think has a 30-something average win margin since Stephen Godfrey has not been embedded with them. That's right. Um, Alabama-Georgia is the most telling. Um, you answered correctly. Uh, I will say this. If Georgia wins and Ole Miss beats Florida – you have two teams with almost identical resumes. And then a new debate begins because they will have both beaten an Alabama team that uh, is not as good as we thought. Um, They will both have sort of scrapped out ugly wins against Vanderbilt and shown that they can struggle on offense against a very, very good defense. They will have beaten up on some crappies. um, And then they, I guess, what's the split there? Uh, You know, Ole Miss will have gone into Florida and won. We don't. I still really don't know what the hell Florida Tennessee told us, and then uh, Georgia will have dismantled a you know a, a, what we think is a pretty bad South Carolina team at home. So those are almost identical resumes, and then a real debate emerges where everyone's at Ole Miss in their top four. If Georgia does the same thing to Alabama or worse, if if they win at home by let's say seventeen points, <laughs> whose win is better? all that points off turnovers crap from two weeks ago is going to come roaring back. Oh, yeah. If Georgia beats Alabama uh, with no turnover margin, and, and again, we've gone down this road. Turnovers aren't all luck. Uh, Alabama did drop the ball and throw interceptable passes. So it wasn't complete, but it was still uh, – there was fortune there. And if Georgia does it, or even if, if Georgia does it with like a minus two turnover uh, differential or something, in my head that's going to mean – that Georgia's win is most impressive. And now, I mean, you know how I operate, though. It's I, I think of things in terms of overall ratings and whatnot instead of, you know, Georgia winning by 10 versus Ole Miss winning by 6. What was, you know, I, I don't necessarily think in those terms, but I know the committee probably will. Um, and, you know, the other thing we'd have to fall back on is that these two teams would meet in early December, which is pretty awesome, too. I like... I don't want to step backwards here, but I'm trying to keep us uh, keep at least a toe outside of the Southeastern Conference. I do really like West Virginia. I do expect them to go to Oklahoma and win by double digits. And when that happens, I do expect them to be considered um, in that conversation of like that nebulous 12 teamish range. 
um, of, of the top programs. Because when I turned in my little playoff ballot thing we do at SB Nation, I made damn sure to say that I thought all four of my teams were actually the third best team in the country and that no one has really emerged as a one or a two to me. I still feel like we won't have a definitive number one unless there's just in something insanely lopsided this weekend. Which I And by the way, I don't see that. I don't see that in Clemson-Notre Dame. I don't see that um, in in either of the uh, the SEC games. So I, I mean, is I think it, it, and then of, if Ohio State goes in and murders Indiana, they probably well, will. What what equity does that you know produce? I will say in terms of um, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, Notre Dame. If it's a blowout, I think it's Alabama and Clemson um, because. Lambert under pressure and we have, I mean, Clemson's going to attack the backfield. The fact that they were able to lose like their top 18 defensive linemen from last year and they're still creating massive havoc is really, really impressive. Uh, Speaks to their recruiting and to to coaches uh, and assistants and, uh, and, you know, continuity. Um, The fact that they have, have been able to create so much havoc, that's going to be for, for a, a, you know, Kaiser, what is third start, whatever it is, um, that's going to be a lot for him to handle. And maybe he handles it fine, but if he doesn't, it could be like Lambert throwing three picks or something. It could get out of hand a little bit. Two teams I like apparently more than anybody else, or at least anybody else that I work with. There are a couple people in the nation that are still riding for these guys. I have Michigan State number one for two weeks. I have TCU number four for two weeks. Uh, Sparty gets Purdue at home. They really need to have one of those non-workmanlike wins where they just absolutely flatten Purdue. Um, and really, same for TCU. I mean, Texas is in sh- whatever right now. They, they are actually, I think, improving. Um, and I do think, like, what uh, I, I go back to what you said on this podcast was it two weeks ago. In the Cal loss, you sort of saw the future, and it made you feel better. No one's talking about that right now. Everybody's, you know, completely obsessed with conspiracy theories on <laughs> officiating. But um, just from a personal standpoint, because I've. Re- <laughs> I've bullied for these two teams. I'd like to see them do well this weekend. And, and again, um, you know, the Big Ten and the Big 12 schedule has not allowed us. You know, if this is, if this is a marquee matchup weekend, we're, not, we're still not going to get answers in those conferences. No, not those, no. Um, I, will, I will say that Michigan State's 13th and TC is 15th in, in F-plus right now, which doesn't have to matter because it's, it's about resume as much as anything. But yep. – yeah, I, I can I can justify not having Michigan State in the top four right now, but I mean, uh, look at the same time, I put Georgia in the top four just out of principle because I like I like them a lot and I think they've lived up to whatever standard I have so far. So you know, in terms of Michigan State, if you if you really think they're going to be uh, strong down the line, then psh, put them wherever. Like I said, I try not to overthink these things at all. Um, UCLA. Before we get into reader questions, the last thing I want to we're, we're going to go globe or globe to globe. You know, we're going to go from here to Mars and back. Um, Mars ain't got no conference. Coast to coast, UCLA and Arizona State this weekend. Um, a lot of people uh, thought the UCLA win against Arizona was the best win last week of anybody. I uh, I didn't expect them to do that. I really, I, I, I kind of, I, I probably have overvalued Arizona. Um, is UCLA the best team in the Pac-12? Uh, that well, in terms of undefeated, possibly, I, you know, I think UC, USC and Stanford both still have a thing. You know, Stanford has done nothing but prove they're awesome since they left Evanston, Illinois, uh, and that loss obviously hurts them for playoff potential and whatnot. But in terms of where, man, I'm saying in terms of a lot, 
that's like okay. today's that's like today's tick apparently um i'm on four hours sleep so any i i've probably said the same thing 11 times this is this may all actually be a fight club type, you know type of figment of my imagination we'll see we'll, we'll keep going just in case um no i i, I like that's what, what, what you would say <laughs> I like what I've seen from Stanford a lot, I think, and the fact that USC's only lost to Stanford. I could make a case for either one of those two teams, but in, ter- but in terms of uh, resume, UCLA, I mean, they're right there. If they're not at, if, you know, they're 10, 11, 12 in my rankings right now. They're obviously really close together, and they're undefeated. And I didn't think incredibly highly of Arizona, but I didn't expect that. I didn't expo- expect whatever, 40, 42 points at halftime. So, um you know they they did mess around. They did slip uh, nearly slip up against BYU, and it reminded us that they still have a freshman quarterback leading this whole show, and he's going to have a couple more bad games. But we, know, in terms of ceiling, God, in terms of, geez, now I'm, <sighs> regarding ceiling, it's hard to make a case that UCLA doesn't have the highest in the Pac-12 right now. Congrats, everybody! We broke Bill Connolly. God. All right, reader questions. Um, we remember to solicit them, and now we're going to remember to read them, at least some of them. Thank you for writing in. We appreciate it. You're doing the Lord's work. Go rate us on iTunes. I don't even know why you're supposed to do that, but apparently it's a really good thing. Uh, let's go with at Real D'Anconia. Um, does Bill think Utah will prove S&P Plus wrong about them? <laughs> this was fun. It's not an official season. Uh, the season hasn't begun until somebody's picked a fight with me regarding my numbers. There you um, go. And this year's Florida State, the early candidate is Utah. And it's kind of funny. It's like it's like uh, Florida State where in previous years I've used the numbers to show that they are a lot closer to being awesome than others think. Uh, like I, mean, I was riding hard for 5-7 and seven Utah in 2013. And then this year's the this year the numbers kind of tell a different story, and therefore the numbers suck and are obviously wrong and are discounting this and this and Woodenham's game management ability and you know things of that nature. Um, the reason why Utah is where you know where, where they are, and, and in my rankings, they're in F plus. They're twenty first overall. They're even worse in in S and P. Um, the reason they are there is because in between uh, uh, certainly a a fine win over a good Michigan team, even though I don't think Michigan was quite as good in week one as they are now, um, in between that win and and the destruction of Oregon, on a per-play basis, and that's not specifically part of my rankings, but it's it's the easiest way to tell, they were outgained per-play by both Utah State and Fresno State. And so if you play like a top-five team twice and a top-70 team twice – you're going to average out to being where you are in the rankings. So, and, and the reason, you know, and so we can say, well, well, they were just taking it easy or it was a rivalry game or, and, 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 and to be fair, uh, Travis Wilson didn't play against Fresno state. So maybe they are artificially low, but that's still telling to me. That still tells us that, you know, week to week, they are still not where they need to be to be considered an elite team. Now, and, you know, as far as the playoff goes, as long as you win, it doesn't matter. Just keep winning and then become really good later. Um, but I, I still, I think there are some, the fact that they, you know, in third gear, they weren't able to um, really move past Utah State and Fresno State until the third or fourth quarter tells us that they're not quite elite yet. But we know from last week that their ceiling is absurd. At Graham Harmon 98 asks, or says, uh, Texas A&M dot, 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 question mark. Um, my, uh, my assumption is, you know what? We'll answer this every way I think he might be asking it. Um, there was 
a weird anxiety around Texas A&M after post Johnny that it was it was a blip. It was not as consistent as they thought they they were getting from Kevin Sumlin. Um, then he continued to do what he does, which is recruit really well and you know be the coolest college football coach in Texas and um, fix the problems on defense, and then also spend a bunch of money to steal LSU's coordinator. Um, I think maybe what Texas A&M dot, 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 question mark might mean is, are they for real right now? What kind of season can we expect? And uh, much in the, the sort of ongoing theme of this episode, I think we're, I think we're going to get a closer, not definitive, but a closer idea uh, this weekend against Mississippi State at home. Um, I kind of liked what they did against Arkansas. They, they ended up having to play a game that was uncomfortable for them. It's not, there were a lot of, from what I saw in that game, I didn't see all of it, they were forced to play at a tempo and play at a certain manner they they aren't particularly fond yeah. of. And also, I like, I mean, to me, I like I like adjustments that create comeback wins in the fourth quarter. I know it wasn't technically a road game; it was very much like a fifty-fifty neutral side deal. But when you're away from home in any capacity and you adjust to win the game in the fourth quarter, that is one of those intangible, non-metric things that I really get off on. So I like what they're doing. I think it, um, go for a thump of like you know 14 points at home against Mississippi State, which I think is possible, and then also show that you can stop a physical quarterback like Dak Prescott because I think that's going to go a really long way towards making critics of that defense calm down. And they kind of, I mean, really, they, they have not been as terrible on defense as they were last year at any point in time this season. They have not been world-beating or dominant. Or right. They have not had the, you know, um, they have not had the Robert Kendichi highlight type, you know, Scooby Wright highlight type moment yet. But um, I think it's coming. Right. Well, they, yeah, they're not good at defending the run yet that Arkansas still ran the ball. They still give up, you know, they're, they're still giving up a lot of four five, six, seven yard runs and, and Dak Prescott will kill you with those. Um, but they're not atrocious. That, that was the problem last year was that, you know, for all the offensive strength and because they were losing games, we were trying to poke holes in the offense. It was still a good offense. It was a crazy young offense that was still moving the ball and scoring points. Um, but their 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 run defense was so incredibly awful that it would just it overshadowed everything. Now it's it's not a strength, but it's not a weakness, and it's something they they can overcome as they showed the other day. I, I do agree that you know uncomfortable wins can be telling. They they were able to stay despite the fact that they weren't doing really outside of what Christian Kirk. Nobody was playing particularly well. They were able to stay close enough for the uh, Arkansas close game jinx to take over late. And um, and that does probably say something. And and yeah, this is another one where all our questions are going to be answered because after Mississippi State, they get a bye week, then they play Alabama and Ole Miss back to back. That'll tell us what we need to know before uh, November rolls around. Uh, at M Sillage Two asks, uh, and and this is going to be one of those where I just it's going to be an old this is going to be old toss sweep to you, Bill, because I have not been watching this program because I value um, my free time in watching football. And I don't hate myself that much. Is Iowa the best team in the no. Big West? Big no. West, by the way. Big Ten. They're probably West. the best team in the Big West. But uh, I think he's asking about the Big Ten West. Yeah. I read that. Yeah, no, it's Wisconsin. Um, Iowa is competitive, and they proved against North Texas that they can score on bad, 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 bad teams. And that's 
good. It could be worse. A lot of teams have terrible offenses this year. So good for Iowa. Uh, they're probably a top 40 team, which I was a little concerned about them hitting that bar this year. So good, you know, very good. Um, but Wisconsin's better. Minnesota might be better. Um, their Minnesota's defense is great. Their offense is terrible. Um, Nebraska's not that great. I haven't given up on Nebraska yet, but they're not great. Uh, but Northwestern, uh, wait, which division is Northwestern in? They're in that one. We don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's Indiana no one and actually, Purdue. It, it changes every week. <laughs> it's Indiana and Purdue that I always get confused. But, yeah, Northwestern's in that division uh, with a really good defense. Illinois is in that division with, I'm not going to call Illinois good, but they're uh, they're not atrocious. They, uh, are because now they, they are a football team that actually has a competent coach. Um, they stumbled into an interim situation that might have been better. So I think the Big Ten West overall is actually not as bad as its reputation, but I was not the best team in it, I don't think. Yeah, yeah they could go beat uh, Wisconsin and Madison this week and, and completely change that. No, look, I'm, I'm not really a stats guy, okay? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really important reporter. I, I travel more than you do. I, uh, I do reporting more than you do, and I don't have time for this kind of Iowa business. So... <laughs> What I've done while you were saying that is I have Googled Iowa Hawkeyes 2015. And what I see in front of me is uh, a two-score win over Illinois State, a two-score win over Iowa State. Technically three scores over Illinois State, 17. Okay, whatever. Uh, Again, I'm not a stats guy, Bill. A field goal over Pittsburgh, and they ran North Texas out. Why are you asking us these questions? I mean, again, feel good about the fact that it really is like a top 40 or 50 team, and last year they weren't that. So they have taken a nice step forward this year, and and, uh, they are efficient on offense, and they're efficient on defense. They kind of look like a a decent Iowa team again, but no, they're not. probably not the best team. I mean, their entire season, you want to talk about uh, uh, learning something this weekend or having definitive information? They either beat Wisconsin or they they, slot, they go right back to obscurity on a national level. The only way anyone talks about Iowa is if they beat Wisconsin this weekend because they will have, uh, you know, even I'm talking even if they lose to Wisconsin and run the table, which they're not going to do. Uh, you you pretty much have to beat the Badgers in that division to get people talking about you outside of that region. That's fair to say, right? Because the you know the West is may not be as bad as you as you say. But in terms of perception, coverage, when you get into recruiting circles, like, it's Wisconsin there. And that's it. Well, I mean, I think that is fair just because, I mean, I can tell you that Northwestern's pretty good and that Minnesota's good and Illinois is better than they, we thought they would be and all that. But it doesn't, I mean, that isn't going to really ring a bell. It, it is Wisconsin. And, you know, North, Nebraska still carries weight, but they're obviously struggling a little bit right now. So, yeah, I'd say that's fair. Oh, God. No more questions about I. I mean, that just thanks in Silage too. You ruined the show. Uh, okay, uh, one more question. Two more questions. Uh, let's see. Where, where what are we at right now? We are at fifty, about fifty three, fifty four minutes. Um, so really, we got you know twenty minutes worth of questions. We can get through, or or we can actually end in a in a responsible amount of time. But more than one. I say more than one. Okay. All right. Um, bad joke question. Bad joke question. Um, my my guy. Oh, yeah, I oh, got one. Okay. Uh, at AJ Divine Eleven, what's the best Group of Five game this week? Uh, um, AJ Divine Eleven, or I I don't think you specified enough because does that mean 
a group of five team. Or right, so like Miami Cincy is what you're thinking there? Well, that's the first one that jumps out at me. Um, Air Force, it, Navy. Okay, I'll play. What do you got? Tell me on that. Well, Air, I mean, Air Force isn't terrible. They're not as good as last year, I don't think. But they're, uh, they're a, a decent Mountain West team, and there aren't many of those this year. Mm-hmm. And Navy, I, <laughs> Navy might still be the best team in the American. I haven't given up on that, that pipe dream just yet. They, are, they still have Keenan Reynolds. Um, they always struggle against uh, fellow option teams like Air Force and Army, at least comparatively speaking. And, uh, you know, plus it'll, be, it'll go pretty quick. There'll be a lot of running, so you don't have to worry. It's not like Houston, Tulsa, where it's going to last nine and a half hours. You know, you'll get in and get out, and you'll, you know, you'll learn something. I am going to go with East Carolina at SMU. We're probably all really early on SMU right now. Because and they did just lose to James Madison. That yeah, that's where I was headed. Was that they were <laughs> unable to shut out James Madison um, or beat them? Uh, what if anything do we take from the win over Virginia Tech? Um, East Carolina is not a name that we've used talking about the Group of Five rep this year for the Bulls. Um, it looks fun on paper, which is why I'm picking it, even though I know that. Um, Riley's no longer the coordinator at ECU's at Oklahoma, but um, I don't know. It, it, it feels like if you had to, if you were forced to, in this, which is the rubric of this question, uh, that would be a good one to watch. Oh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch probably. Um, East Carolina's kind of weird right now. They, they stumbled into a, 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 mo- a dual-threat run game quarterback the other day um, when, what's his name, Reynolds took over in the second quarter and then had like three t- touchdowns and four possessions, and suddenly they were up two touchdowns on Tech. That's... Or, you know, from a pure curiosity standpoint, that's weird. That's not what I expected to see from Ruffin McNeil. So um, that's pretty interesting. And of course, SM- yeah, yeah, SMU. There's no, there's nothing uninteresting about SMU or Tulsa this year. Um, but you know, ECU's two and two. They lo- they got romped by Navy, which which helps my case, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Yeah, if we're talking about like you know importance, no. But in terms of entertainment value, hell yeah. I mean, that's all you could ask for in this situation. Although, I mean, it, it's actually really bad. Hey, you know what? As good as a week as, as it is for, uh, what are we calling this, definitive answers Saturday? Uh, <laughs> or, or slightly more definitive answers Saturday? On the top end, on the bottom end, it's not great. Um, I'll give somebody 20 bucks if they can prove to me they watched UCF at Tulane the entire game <sighs> with no other stimuli. Here's my excuse for not watching that game. I'll be watching the SEC version of that. I'll be at Faroe Field for South Carolina, Missouri. Okay, Bill. Let's talk about it then. <laughs> I'm just saying I can't make that game. I'll, I, you know, I guess I could DVR it. Um, let's just keep with the theme here, and and because you know what, you know what, listeners, you need to do better on these questions. Uh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> as as I mean, really, I'm really not. more disappointed. I'm let down. About, I mean, I'm disappointed in myself, obviously, because I'm not soliciting well enough. But um, since we've tried to figure out that Oregon is um, declining, possibly temporarily, not bad forever. Auburn is very confusing on offense, still structurally sound. Um, what? Give me in the same in the same type of assessment, Louisville and South Carolina. Oh, you didn't ask me about Missouri. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Well, I was going to do that last, but oh, okay. and also I I just think Missouri's. I mean, they're just having a down year. Just got to get more guys in there. I mean, it, to me, it's just a turnover thing in Missouri, right? Possibly, but we'll come back to that. Louisville. Okay. Um, 
Petrino, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, guys who we don't expect to have sketchy offenses, uh, right now Louisville can run the ball really, really well and can't pass it with Bobby Petrino as head coach. That's, um, I, that's one of those things I don't, I don't really know how to process that. They've got three quarterbacks, all of whom have interesting things to offer, um, you know, Lamar Jackson can run, and he's the only one completing 60% of his passes. Uh, Kyle Bolin kind of looks the part of a, of a passing quarterback, but he takes sacks uh, and doesn't actually, you know, he's only completing 56% of his passes. Bonifant has the, the most amazing arm you'll ever seen, but hasn't figured out how to use it and is apparently in the doghouse, or maybe he's hurt. I didn't, I didn't see that he was hurt. Um, and they've got a bunch of freshman receivers. Like a lot of freshman receivers, like four of their top five right now are freshmen. So, I mean, maybe that answers itself. You got either a freshman or a sophomore quarterback throwing to freshmen and sophomores, and uh, you're not doing very well. I guess maybe that answers itself, and maybe it'll work itself out in time. But in the meantime, they've got an amazing run game that they might not be utilizing enough. And then uh, South Carolina, that is the number one team, by the way. That I think when my Memphis story hit, I got the most responses of just uh, uh, he's, he's already headed to Columbia. Which I, don't, I really don't think that's going to happen. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean SEC job. I guess there's Mm-mm. possibility of that. It just no, no. I, I, strong indicators to me that that is not the direction a coach like Fuente would head. But um, is it time? Is it time? I mean, it feels like he's he hasn't recruited. He has not... Well, okay, he has... He's been signing top 30 classes. So, I mean, if we're talking about why aren't they a top 10 team, then yeah, he hasn't recruited, but he's recruited well enough to produce uh, top 30 results. Yeah, but the problem... But, the, but the they're prob- not. The problem was he set himself up to, for, for this to be considered a massive failure right now. This is all... This is all the, the, uh, the benefit of his hard work because of... Because of where the what the program was and is when he came, the success he had, and the regression, which was inevitable. Yeah, no, there's so absolutely this is all. Regression. I mean, he he has built himself this box, and at his age, um, I just, I mean, can anybody make an argument that that under this staff right now they rebuild into a a dominant team in the in hell just the East. Well, no, not dominant, but do they, I, mean, I guess what I learned, especially even when I was just like writing about South Carolina um, in the preview of this offseason is that we're, really we're talking about two different things at once. We're talking about those 11 win teams um, from a couple of years ago, but we're also talking about South Carolina. And, you know, even now, even with how bad they looked against Georgia, they're 41st in both my, in, in both of my rankings in, in S&P and F plus uh, three other four games. Like they, the, the Kentucky game was really weird because of blown chances and whatever. Like the, the stats I use, you know, basically say you, you, you scramble those stats up in the air and they land in different order. They went South Carolina wins three quarters of the time. And they, so that, that was, again, they shouldn't have lost and they did, but they're still playing at, you know, three out of four games. They played at a decent level, like a top 40 level. And so now you look at their schedule, they've got Missouri. Uh, <laughs> They probably have a better chance of winning that game than Missouri fans want to admit. Mm-hmm. They've got Vanderbilt at home. They've got Florida at home. They've got Citadel. They'll, I mean, especially if they beat Missouri this weekend, they've got a path to six wins again uh, with a super young, you know, uh, 
Wilds is a senior, I guess, but David Williams is a sophomore. Uh, any number of quarterbacks that he's played so far this year, they'll all they're all scheduled to come back. I guess Pharaoh Cooper's probably gone, but he's only a junior, so he could surprise. I guess. Um, and you know, on defense, they <laughs> that whole freaking class they just signed. They've got a couple seniors in the secondary, but everybody else is sophomores and juniors, pretty much. So, you know, in, in theory, whatever they do this year, they will improve on it next year. Maybe they, he can get them back to a top 30 level. And if you're South Carolina, that should be enough. I realize that this is, you know, when you're, when you're Clemson's cousin, you, you're going to have a lot of crazy in you. And um, when, you oh, know, Bill. when you're Clemson, I, I, lo- I love it when Clemson's good, but they, they have high demands. Um, but, you know, and you're in the same conference as Auburn, you're in the, the freaking SEC, then I realized that, you know, top 30 isn't necessarily going to feel like enough. But it's – he, he, it should be. It should be enough at South Carolina to, to play at a top 30 level, and I think he could get them back there. I, I don't know if he'll stick around long enough to do it, but he's, they're not as far away from that as, as we think. And, again, I think it comes back to the fact that we're talking about two different things. Where, you know, it's not just top 30, it's also top 10 that we're talking about. Yeah, no, it, it, it's the fact they were eleven and two right. two years ago. I mean, that's they were. I think they were spoiled um, because what, what, they were double digit wins the year before that, right? Yeah, yeah, like three I straight mean, years, I think. Yeah, so I mean, th- this is the this is the uh, I mean, this is the prison you built for yourself. If they if they finish around five hundred again this year, they did that last year. They, I mean. It, there's just it goes back to the Auburn thing and the ten month off season. He's not winning the, the the war off the field like he used to. He used to own it, you know, yeah. and that's just not there. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how much. I think he's got a longer. I, I think I think he's built more patience at that job because it's that job, and also because he is Spurrier that most coaches would get. So I don't think if they finish five and seven, he's getting fired unless he just says. I can't imagine he gets that's fired. That's it. I'm hitting the links. But let right. me back up real quick. You said that. So 75% of the time, Kentucky loses to South Carolina in that situation? Right. So if I were an enterprising man and I wanted to sell T-shirts in Lexington that said 25% of the time we beat South Carolina 100% of the time, that would be accurate? I don't know how many of those you would sell, but you could give it a shot, yeah. So wait, so So I can't do like stats – Based smack shirts. Uh, you know, if you want to do it, it's not my money. Just think about it. Just, we don't have to talk about it right now. We could get it. We could get one of those cheap cartoonists. I'm just saying. Imagine like, a, hey, we rolled the tad, but then under it, like with turnovers, luck it's affected it. Yeah, exactly. See, just like, like some hard analytics right under that. Yeah. Hey, we rolled the damn tad in Tuscaloosa. Then there's the score and the year, and then underneath it says you know, 7.6 yards per play and plus five turnover margin. Um, so we've re- we've passed the hour long mark. So now we're to the you know the fifteen people who are still listening are the hardcores. Uh, we I can ask them. T shirts, okay? Yeah. There. If we create a, a set of of that would pay the fee for Cafe Press right there. <laughs> That's right. If you if if you would be willing to purchase uh, Stat Smack shirts, then you know Buy let it. us know, and it, it'll be a it'll be a binding contract. If you say you're willing, you have to purchase all ten. Uh, for it to be viable for us. Why is that not the name of the show? Stat Smack. Okay, let's get out of here on this. Um, uh, do my homework for me and tell me what you think is going to happen. This is the one uh, marquee game we didn't touch on too much. Clemson, uh, Notre Dame. 
Uh, we are for sure going to have Notre Dame as a playoff contender team if they go to Clemson and win. We are for sure going to know that Clemson is a front runner in the uh, the the team to beat in the ACC if they win. Um. So the numericals, uh, by I assume by the time this uh, goes live, the num- my numerical for today will also be live, uh, and in it. I talk about how, I, you know, I, I was just out of curiosity. I looked at just average F-plus rankings for each conference because I couldn't really in my head grasp, like, who's good? Who's actually good this year? Um, number one is, you know, S, uh, the SEC is, you know, for how overrated it is, the numbers still love the SEC. It is way better than any other conference. But by a nose, the second best conference right now is the ACC. Um, what? Yeah, all four of those conferences are really bunched together. But ACC, in terms of F plus, ACC is number two right now. I actually, in the piece, I mentioned that <sighs> my number my number two vote would be the Big Twelve because it's getting kind of artificially dragged down by how hilariously awful Kansas is. But um, when you when you t- think about the ACC uh, as a whole, and then you notice that Clemson's number four right now and Florida State's number six, I. I can make a case for either Clemson or Florida State potentially making it to the playoff at like twelve and one. So where's the number three team? Just out of curiosity, the number three team. Um, it's Alabama one, Ohio State two, Ole Miss three. No, 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 no. The number. The, I'm sorry. The third ACC team. How far down are they? Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. Um, that's where it gets kind of weird. There's a bunch, bunch between eighteen and thirty-three. So Georgia Tech is technically number three. Okay. At eighteenth right now, but then you've got you've got Duke. Duke, who suddenly has an elite defense. There, Duke, Boston College, uh, a lot of teams this Northwestern, a lot of teams this year suddenly have great defenses that I'm really confused by it. But um, they're there. Virginia Tech is still up there. Miami is still up there. And more importantly, um, the bad teams aren't as bad. Wake Forest has improved. Syracuse is actually a couple, a few steps ahead of where I thought they'd be. And so the overall conference is grading out pretty well because of that. And again, because Kansas is dragging out the Big 12. But suddenly, you know, a 12 and one Florida state team or Clemson, if they say they lose to Notre Dame and beat uh, Florida state and win the ACC, I can make a case for that. I think that tells you how, how iffy a lot of these teams are. Cause I mean, Clemson's offensive line is still terrible or, or still trying to get to where it's decent. Uh, and Florida state's offense is pretty inefficient, but they have defenses and a lot of, and very few teams actually have bo- both good offenses and good defenses so far this year. So I, I don't think it's an, it's kind of a, win or bust kind of situation for Clemson and Notre Dame. I, I think they played enough tough games that they will have that. Yeah. If they, if they lose, if they go 11 and one, they're probably in too. That just blow your mind a little bit. I'm going to transcribe all that and then rewrite it and pass it off as my own. Um, going to be a lot of wild tailgate and I'll be there periscoping it. Let's leave it at that. Nice. All right. Um, so uh, we'll be back at the same time next week, hopefully with uh, some definitiveness. The Slightly More Definitive Answer Saturday is coming at you. Awesome. I'm excited. See you guys next week.